Hi friends, my name is Landon Wietrich, and this is Inquire Inside. Braden and I got to sit down with Kyle Grimm, who has been a real estate investor for nearly a decade. In this episode, Kyle shares how he bought his first home while he was a senior in high school, and through various challenges and achievements, learned the game of real estate and found it to be his passion. Kyle currently owns various types of real estate, including multifamily, manufactured housing communities, and self-storage units. In this first part of the conversation, we discuss the people and examples Kyle witnessed that inspired him to get into real estate. We also talk about what it was like being in real estate through COVID and what the process of buying properties looks like from the perspective of an investor. Without further ado, we're going to jump right into this conversation with Kyle Grimm. So I'm curious, um, a little little background. Fill us in. Born, raised, you know, as much detail as you want. Oh boy. The full, the full background? Yeah, we got time. Okay. Um, well, I guess first, Landon, just to, to back up a little bit, um, we met back in like 2014, I want to say 20, uh, maybe it's 2013, um, when, when I started repenting in the church. Um, that's when we met. But so you, I don't even know how much uh, you know about my backstory. I mean, we've, we talked a lot, but um, born and raised Quincy, Illinois, where we're sitting right now. And uh, I was actually homeschooled from, you know, starting school until eighth grade. So I was okay. homeschooled until eighth grade and went half a day in eighth, starting in eighth grade, which is interesting looking back because I don't think I realized how socially awkward I was and how how just different I was compared to a lot of the kids until I actually graduated high school. Looking back, I'm like, man, I was, I still am. I'm kind of a weirdo. But, uh, so that, I think that shaped a lot of my, I don't get that vibe. Okay. I, and I would have never guessed, uh, tread lightly. My wife's thinking about homes or we are currently hey. homeschooling, but I'm just kidding. No, I, I'm not hating on homeschooling at all. Actually, no, in I know, fact, I, I would, I, I were leaning maybe that route a little bit. Yep. Not sure yet. We don't have right. kids, but right. That's that's our plan as well. I think being homeschooled really did shape a lot of my, you know, early on views and just how I interacted with people and how I viewed the world. Because yep. most of what I knew was a very um not I want to say I don't want to use the word sheltered, but I, I looked through a very um very focused in lens on just a, a little bit of, you know, our life. But a very black and white. Yeah. Yep. But so anyways, um, went into high school, um, you know, skipped around a lot in different friend groups. Didn't feel like I ever really fit in to a certain type of friend group, um, but was able to find some good group of friends later in high school and then really got into real estate, which I know we'll probably talk a little bit more about later on this on this uh, show here. Is this a show or is this a podcast? It's whatever, man. Whatever it is. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's both. Yeah. So got into real estate, actually senior year of high school, and that's just kind of <clears throat> been my my focus ever since is real estate. So With your senior year of high school. So yeah. you're, you're, you're what, 17, um, I was probably uh, close to 18, somewhere around there. Um, that's kind of where I Which, how old are you now? We should... Yeah, 28. 28, okay. Which sounds kind of scary. Actually, this is it's funny. Last night I was sent an, a friend request or actually it was an invite to a Facebook page for my 10-year high school reunion. And when I got that, <laughs> I was I was wow. Like it, I really I was like wow, 10 years. 
You feel old probably, right? Yeah, I do. And yet I don't. I really feel like I have no idea what I'm doing with my life. It's sometimes. Right. Right. And I'm like, I'm 28, you know, we should have this figured out, but do we ever? I I was just going to say, do you ever think that we'll not feel that way? Probably not. And I was talking to my wife about this last night, actually. I try to be very aware of the time that's passing because I, I'm fueled a lot by the fear of regret. And so I don't want to get to when I am 65, 70 and regret the way I lived my life. Like, oh, I wasted it. So I'm very cognizant of the time that I try to be of the time that's passing, but I'm also shocked at how fast it really does go. Right. Right. But I think the 18-year-old Kyle would look at Kyle today, right? If you were to look at where you're at today at an 18-year-old, how would have you felt when you were 18 years old? Probably halfway decent. I think that it depends on who you're comparing yourself to. Right. And I know that we shouldn't be comparing ourselves, but I think it's natural for me especially to compare myself to you know certain people. So it's almost like as we move up in life, whether it's spiritually, whether it's our family, whether it's fitness, we always have those people that we set up and we're like, I want to go towards that. And so back when I was 18, looking at my 28-year-old self, I'd be very happy right. with where Please, I'm at. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, for sure. But it's hard not to, now that I surround myself with a lot of people <coughs> like you guys that are pushing yourselves or that are trying to grow every day, it, it, it sometimes can be hard. You're like, man, I need, to, I need to get my act together. So let's hit the pause button real quick. Who are some people that you that you do look up to and maybe in the past, maybe currently, and it could be people that you know, or it could be like, you know, famous people. Oh yeah. That's a really good question. I know, uh, just when we lived together, when, when, uh, we were roommates, you were a huge fan of Robert Kiyosaki. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I learned about him from you, you know, rich dad, poor dad. I feel like I have different buckets in my life as we all do. Of we course. have our family. Yeah. We have, you know, so I have different inspirations in each one of those buckets. And so, um, my life, I would say I'm very focused on, on business and growing. And, um, I love the w- world of real estate. And, and so in that, you know, talking in that bucket, yeah, there's guys like maybe Robert Kiyosaki was one if, for those that don't know who that is, he is an author. Um, he more or less has this book that's one of the, it's kind of like the Bible of real estate investing, like the most basic beginner set your mindset for investing in real estate. So he's very famous. And he has this uh, rich dad and he has a poor dad. And his rich dad um, is one that didn't really have good grades in school. He uh, was very business minded. He wasn't about like, hey, let's go get another higher degree or let's let's study more. Let's let's create a business. Um, and so he contrasts it with his poor dad, who was a like a professor who was always struggling financially. And, and, and he would go back to try to get more schooling to, you know, better his income and so that really shaped a lot of my mindset with business, Robert Kiyosaki. So that, yeah, he is one of them. Um, there's a lot of people that probably people wouldn't know who they are. Like Ken McElroy is probably one of my bigger, I wouldn't call him an idol, but he's, he's someone that I look to for direction in business. Um, he's someone who built a, like a vertically integrated real estate company. So he started out managing properties, then he ended up buying them. And then he built a management company. Um, so he's, he not only owns the properties, but he also manages them. He's built teams, you know, he has crews that mow for him. So he's got all these side businesses. They've got teams that clean the apartments. He has teams that do all kinds of stuff. So I have, uh, there's probably a lot of people I look up to and it's, you know, it's a good question. Um, 
But we know it's, whether it's, I mean, you could call it success, you could call it just, you know, straight up results in your outcome. Those are inspired from multiple different directions. Everything that you have today, Kyle, is not just a result of inspiration from, you know, real estate investment gurus, right? It's because there's, there's spiritual factors that play a role. There's um, health factors, um, you know, business factors and stuff like that. Just in general, not even necessarily related, related to investing or real estate, who else would you say you really look up to or, or you're trying to be like? Um, and again, that, this could be somebody you know personally yeah. or, or not. I think so, you know, someone who I think of as a really good leader, I'm sure a lot of people who probably listen to this podcast know who it is, and it's Kent Heimer. Um, Kent Heimer is a elder of a church, and he also um, has a very successful construction company. And from my point of view, I've never worked in his company, but from my point of view, he's a very good leader, not just a leader that's saying what to do, but leads by example. Um, so whether it's in the church or his business, he's always been someone I've looked to as he just seems to be very balanced in the way that he's, he leads and he's, he's been very financially successful and has done well with that. I've never looked at him and said, I think that he's maybe become full of himself or, you know, spends his money unwisely. So I, that, that's someone, when I get asked that question, that's usually who I think of mm-hmm. someone that I know personally. Um, you know, there's a lot of other people, you know, in the social media world that maybe I look to, but. Um, even my parents, I mean, they, they've been ones that have really, my dad especially shaped the way I, th- I think about business and entrepreneurship. Um, you know, getting into even his story would be an interesting topic. I mean, cause he, he never went to college. He's always been an entrepreneur and that shaped a lot of the way I thought about my future. Um, I never, I never really had the, the goal of, Hey, I'm going to go to college and become an engineer. It was, you know, it was the ideas I was thinking about that dad planted in my mind when I was 10, 11, 12. Uh, one of the first things that he helped me do was start a little vending machine business. And I, I don't know how old, I was probably 11, 12, somewhere in there. Um, bought like an $80 vending machine on eBay. And he worked at a building that was, it was where the post office was located. And there's other businesses in that building. And so we got permission. Of course, he led most of this. I'm just thinking I'm involved. Um, but how powerful is that though? Oh, right? it was huge. Yeah, it was huge. You know, he, he would put me in charge of, you know, getting my little keys out, taking the money out, counting it. We would go to Walmart, pick up, you know, bulk bags of candy and, you know, thinking through those things back then of like, why dad, why aren't we just buying the little bags of candy? Well, here, when we buy bulk, we get a better value for the dollar that we spent. Mm-hmm. So understanding that stuff, my dad was very good at teaching me those lessons, which really shape the way I think today. Yeah. As you mentioned earlier, Kyle, you and I have known each other for quite a while. Shoot, going on um going on almost ten years now. Yeah. And uh but I I was gonna I did I was planning on kind of bringing up your dad at some point in this conversation because I know just what I know about your parents and, and especially your dad and just his um his mindset as far as like his approach to money and, and entrepreneurship and everything like that. I, I was pretty sure that played a role in where you are at today. I mean, do you think if, if your dad worked a, a typical nine to five, do you think you'd be in the same place? 
That's a really good question. Um, I don't, I don't even know how to answer it because I mean, no, I wouldn't be in the same place. So yeah, I mean, I would say that his impact through, through looking at what he's done with his life has really shaped the direction. If he, if he had the typical nine to five, if he was an engineer or he was, um, which first of all, I should preface, like, I'm not, I'm not downgrading a nine to five at all. Right. right. Um, in fact, some days I wish I had a nine to five. Sure. Right. But um, I think that if he had one, I would have definitely gone more that direction. He he was just so entrepreneur, entrepreneurial throughout my childhood that I just never even, I never once thought that I'd have a nine to five. It just wasn't even in my brain. Because that's what you witnessed. Yeah. That was the environment you were in and that, that controls your thoughts. Did your dad read much? Um, you know, he, he didn't, I don't okay. think. Um, that's a good question. He probably listened to a lot more than he actually read. Okay. But my dad was also just very busy. And so, yeah. like, he didn't really have the time to sit down. Or he could have made the time, but just didn't. Right. So. Well, I mean, I asked, because I ask myself those same questions sometimes. Like, well, yeah, obviously your circumstances, the way you were raised, play a huge role in who you are today. But also at the same point, it's like I look at what reading's done to my life, and it's like, well, even if my dad worked a 9-to-5, which he doesn't, uh, even if the example in my um, parents or relatives or whatever, whichever is influencing you, maybe a bad experience in school, it's like, well, there's still a little glimpse of me that believes if I would have got hooked on books or if I would have seen the potential in reading and learning – that, hey, the world, I mean, there, there still is no limit if you can get into that, right? If you can humble yourself to learning every day, right? Yep. And I, I got a question before we move on, going back to your, um, you know, to those people you look up to. First off, Ken Heimer, I don't know him real well, but every time I'm around that brother, it's just pure love. So you do and know joy. him. I know Ken, yeah. yeah. Um, cool. I mean, seriously, I love the guy, and I don't really know him that well, but from what I gather from him. Also, it's like in the business world, you know, maybe not Robert, because he's probably probably the pinnacle of success in the real estate world, but it's like the other guys that you look up to or I look up to or we look up to, there's some days you could ask them, like, hey, how you doing? And they're probably like, I have no idea what I'm doing. Right. Like if they're completely honest with themselves... You know, I think it becomes you laying in. We were talking about this on the phone. Like there becomes this point to where when you continually grow and continually push yourself, where it becomes, um, well, growth can sometimes be awkward and it's unknown, right? Yep. And so bringing back up what we talked about earlier, two questions. One is, do you think that's ever going to go away? And two is, have you ever asked some of your mentors or people you look up to, like, hey, like, honestly, like, what do you tell your wife when you're sitting in the living room at 930 at night before you're going to bed? You know what I'm saying? Not when the lights are on, you know, not when the camera's rolling, not when you got 13 people underneath you looking for answers. What do you say to your wife before you go to bed? Yeah. You know what I'm saying? I Yeah, I mean, I don't think that our questions of... I don't think it'll ever go away. Yeah, right. I think it's a constant battle. I mean, even I think that we be, maybe as we become older, we become more at peace about the decisions we made and the directions that we've headed. 
And again, bringing up my dad, you know, I've seen his life. Um, he's been very, you know, he's been successful. He's made comments to me that his life didn't go as planned. Hmm. However, he has come to peace with that and he's become very, um, I don't want to say, you know, what'd be the word? Not complacent. That's not the right word. Um, very at peace about where he is content maybe content with where he is and so i think that maybe us young guys uh it's hard for me to envision becoming content with where i am right but i think that as we get older we become especially as we start to realize the importance of um maybe the how important it really the bigger the bigger goal is what i'm trying right. to say yeah, like right. there's more important things to life than just success whether it's physically financially you mm-hmm. know so, and I think that I've watched that through my dad where he's start to, you know, reorganize his, uh, his priorities. Mm-hmm. And but, I think that's not a, I think we'll all get to that point. But I one thing so I too. wish I could yeah. stress, I wish I would have known earlier and may, I could be wrong in this. I could be wrong in this, but, but also people that are listening to, I think, um, those high tension areas or the high amounts of stress, just like you related to, Hey, there's some days I wish I had a nine to five, like, like a lot of times we just talk about the success in business, right? Mm-hmm. Like we talk about the success of your dad or the success of Robert or the success of whoever you want to bring up, but we actually never actually, you know, elaborate on the the lonely, dark, scared days. Yeah. And what you do, Jordan Peterson talks about it all the time, what you do in those moments is actually what you're made up of. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And we don't talk about that enough. And like if there's one thing I could stress, it's like, all right, everyone just breathe and relax a little bit it's gonna be okay the the feelings and emotions that you're going through when you you know maybe maybe leveraged a property too much or maybe had a lawsuit go bad with tenants or whatever like hey listen folks it's not the end of the world let's learn from it let's move on but a lot of times we feel these emotions and we feel these unknowns this like the floors dropping out from underneath of us and we think, oh man, I must be doing something wrong, or yep. oh man, I I need to get back to the nine to five, or I need to get back to, you know, whatever that comfort zone is for you, or the no zone, um, because we don't know how to act in those circumstances where, whether it's your spiritual ideology or your theology is completely crushed in front of you, whether it's your your faith or your business, it's like, okay, listen, let's talk about how normal this is. Mm-hmm. Um, because everyone's success that we talk about is always overcome or it always overshadows all the dark, yeah. lonely times. I think that brings up even looking at your, you know, you always hear about what's your why. Yep. Right, and yep. I think there's there's so much truth in that because when you are going through those dark times, if you don't have a why or if you don't have a passion for what you're doing, it's going to be hard to keep pressing forward. So, but in the why, so like, in the dark times is that I found it and maybe maybe I should be careful how I say this, but sometimes I wonder even my why can get a little bit hairy when, when the moments get lonely. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's like, well, man, I know this is why I'm doing it, but is it actually worth it? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. And to be, I mean, to be honest, um, I think that my why will become stronger as maybe I have kids and my family grows. I still struggle with what my why is today. Yeah. And and it comes for me, I, I was asked once um, 
by a, a, a friend of mine, you know, this was years ago, it stuck with me ever since. He said, Kyle, when's enough enough? You know, he was asking a question about business. You know, you know he's see, seen what I was doing and he asked me, Kyle, when's enough enough? And it just shocked me because for me, it's not about the money. It's not about this, the status. It's the, it's, I, it's this gut feeling that I have, like God designed me to, to do this. Like this is just what I'm supposed to be doing. Right. Um, and maybe some people haven't found that yet, but that's what carries me through is like those, those days when I am just like, I don't even know why I'm doing this. Like I need to stop. I go back to like, it's just what I feel like I was designed to do. Mm -hmm. And, you know, again, some people might not have that feeling. Maybe they haven't haven't found that yet, but that's just kind of what I always fall back to. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. In the bad times, it's like, even if you wanted, even if you wanted to switch and do something else, you know, in your gut and in your heart or in your soul, it's like, no, this really is what I'm supposed to be doing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And and will I still question that? Sure, I oh, will. Sure. Yep. But yep. you know, we got to ride the ride the ups and downs and I think eventually we I mean we keep going up and to the right. Um and as long as you're sticking in something you somewhat enjoy, like you're going to figure it out and you're going to get through those hard times. Yep. Yep. So you didn't go to school. So after you graduated I guess, high school. Yeah, just to summarize real quick. So um again, I was homeschooled until eighth grade, went into public school. Um, it was about senior year of high school, I started getting interested in real estate. Yep. I remember browsing on my phone, you know, realtor.com, Zillow, looking at houses for sale. It was, a lot, it was a lot of fun to look at that stuff. And I can't remember how much my dad had influenced me in that. I don't think, I don't think much, but I did. So he always told me that he was in real estate in his, when he was like 18 to, I don't know how old he was, maybe 25, 30. And he um, bought a lot of rental properties and he was a realtor and he sold everything once he started having kids because he got into the insurance business. Um, you're in the insurance business, correct? Yeah. So hopefully this doesn't, uh, what I'm going to say, don't let it affect you. But he says that uh, selling his real estate was the biggest regret of his life, getting out of real estate. Insurance just wasn't for him. Okay. Well, I shouldn't say that. He's very, very good at insurance and he still does it very mm-hmm. successfully. But... He is, he's very good at um, being hands-on in real estate. And so anyways, that being said, I had that in the back of my mind, I think as a high schooler, I was, I had no idea what I was going to do. And so I remember I was scrolling through on Zillow and I think I was actually in math class is the way I remember this. I just remember seeing this little house for sale in Quincy um, and they're asking like $15,000 for it. Now this is in probably the worst part of Quincy and this house was probably not savable. And I remember talking to dad about it and just being like, Hey, like, you know, 15,000, it's not that much. And talk to him. And I'm like, what if we offered him like five, you know, it'd been on the market for a long time because no one was dumb enough to touch it. And so ended up making an offer. Um, that was the first house I ended up buying. And so that was 2012, um, the year I graduated high school. And that is what kind of just moved me in the direction that I am still today. So I uh, graduated high school and I ended up going to community college for two years. However, I didn't go through like a traditional program. I went through, it was like a workforce development type program. Um, It was at like a a different campus. It was all construction based. So we were like out on a job site all day, pretty much, you know, nailing up shingles and all that stuff. So that was very beneficial to kind of get that 
um, knowledge of construction. In the meantime, I was fixing up this first little house. Um, I needed an internship to graduate this program. And so I started working construction for a local contractor. And that was also great. It really taught me a lot about hard work. We did concrete. Um, I was kind of the gopher, go for this, go for that, you know, and go faster. Right. You know, right. so I had a, it's actually funny. Um, the guy I worked for, uh, probably won't drop his name, but lo- locally he's known as a slave driver. Um, employees do not last with him and not many people care for the man. Um, I was actually advised. Does he do good work? He does. Okay. Um, he's a, he's a mass producer of real of buildings. Like he, he just goes in, knocks them out the same thing over and over and over. He's not like a custom builder. Um, I was actually advised not to work for him. So through this internship, they're like, you can choose any contractor, but the, his name was actually dropped. And they're like, you probably don't want to work for him because you won't last. And I took that as a challenge and I'm like, watch me because I can, I can take heat from people and it doesn't really bother me. So I ended up working for him and it went pretty well. Um, sure enough, he, he would yell like it was bad enough where if he told you to like go pick up a shovel and you weren't like jogging, he would yell. I mean, it was pretty bad. The, the, the concrete drivers who'd come deliver the concrete, they, they d- disliked him, I should say, not hate him. <laughs> um, because he would just scream at them like, you know, get your truck over here and, you know, get your, you know, get your end over here. Get just, straight. Yeah. Just don't go off the path. Everyone thought that they, that he, he thought that everyone would know his own custom hand signals, you know, so he has his own <laughs> yeah. hand signals and no one knows what he's trying to say and he would just get more mad. But anyways, that, it taught me a lot about being quick about what I'm doing and, and just working hard. Yeah. So from there, um, this was, this was a huge leg up that I had starting out. Um, my uncle Keith Flum, um, you know, Keith, I don't know if you've met Keith Mm, before. Well, they were moving out of their, their family home. And we ended up working up an agreement with him where I don't remember the numbers. I'm going to say it was 140000 So we told Keith, and by we, I'm talking, it was me, my dad, Jordan Steidinger, um, and then we brought in Keith's son, Seth Flum. There's a few of us. We came up with this plan. Keith, we'll give you one hundred forty grand for your house. They were moving into my parents, uh, my grandparents' basement to help take care of my grandpa who had Parkinson's disease. So they were going to sell their house anyways. And Keith wanted, you know, the 140. We said, hey, Keith, let us come into your house. Let us redo it, fix it up. And we get the profit, anything over 140. So this was like my first true flip. Uh, And I didn't have to have any money out of my pocket to buy the house because Keith held it in his name. Mm, Okay. So it was was a massive, you know, help to getting me started. So what year is this? How old were you? um, This would have been 20... um, 2013 summer of 2013 so this the you know the next year i bought the first house in 2012 and we ended up fixing it up took way longer than we thought Um, that's when jordan steidinger and i became really close um and we learned a lot about just you know like blowing over the budgets you know we were just way over budget and everything took 10 times longer than we thought as it usually does in construction but that's really what helped propel me forward we ended up selling it. We made a little bit of money, and then I just kept kind of going after that. So yeah, I mean, I guess now here I am. Now it's I, I'm a realtor. I guess I should tell people what I do. I'm a realtor, somewhat, not much anymore, 
but then I buy real estate, um, fix it up, rent it out, or resell it is more or less what I do. So who's your broker? Who do you broker under? Well, I, uh, my, my real estate license is held at a local, small local firm here in Quincy. It's called Davis and Associates. It's okay. not, it's similar to like, maybe if you've heard of a, um, well, I'm trying to think what the national brand is like a, um, uh, century 21 yeah. or, yeah. okay. Yeah. Yep. So that's, it's a local mom and pop shop here in Quincy, but I don't do a whole lot of selling anymore just because my passion more lies in the actual investing side. Yeah. And, and obviously with that, with that license, when you go to buy property, I mean, if you're bringing the buyer, you're getting, you're saving yourself that 3% or whatever, correct? Yep. Yeah, definitely. Um, like for instance, right now I have a property under contract. It's a commercial warehouse. And so it was listed by another agent. Yep. Well, he, so he's the selling agent. I'm buying it myself. So I'm the buying agent. So I'll pay myself that 3%. <clears throat> yep. how that will work. Yeah. So on the how does that work when you're going into private deals where you're not dealing with another realtor? That's one of the things that always, you know, you, dual agency or when, what do they call I mean, basically they treat the public as a sheep. And if you're an agent, you're the wolf. So anything that can go wrong or that does go wrong, they're looking at you. How do you cover yourself in those situations? Are you talking when I'm buying something myself and right. it's not listed? Right. Yep. So, um, you know, it's different in every state, but I just have to disclose that I'm a agent, oh. you know, and that you I'm licensed. Yeah, and you basically just had a lawyer draw up a... Um, yeah. Okay. You, I mean, you can do um, whatever you guys agree to. I mean, real that's the beautiful thing about real estate. It's 100% negotiable, pretty much. I mean, right. there's, there's, right. there's laws about disclosures and things like that, but um, typically... I guess I, I rarely buy properties that are listed anymore. Most of the properties I buy are not for sale and yep. I just reach out to the owner and convince them to sell. Yep. So at that point we decide between the two of us like, Hey, do you want me to draw up the contract? Do you want to do it? Should we have a third party? You know, it's yep. kind of whatever you want. And at that point you're bringing in paperwork from your, are you having like a, a title company do the, the work on this or you're using your own, um, realtor yeah so um it, it, it depends again yeah. um but the title work would always be done by a third party yeah. so typically me and mr seller will just say you know i'll tell him like hey i've got a contract i'm a realtor so i've just i've got the standard contract if you want to look through it have your attorney read through it if you want make changes if you want typically that doesn't happen we sign it um then i take it to the title company a local title company you know <coughs> depends on where i'm at um, they do all the title work, and then the closing just usually takes place there or at the bank. Okay. Yep. Yep. How do you... Now, you just said a lot of the properties you buy. Landon, if you want to intervene here, by all means, go ahead, because I, I have a lot of questions. How do you... <laughs> um, how are you picking properties that are, are, you know, potentially deals? Like, what is it? Is it duplexes? Is it apartments? Is it houses? Is it all the above? Yeah. Um, it's changed over the years. So it started out as that little first house. And, um, you know, it was just a shotgun style house. You walk in the front door and you walk right through the bedroom into the kitchen. And so it started from there, ended up buying. Um, we had four on that block then. Um, four single families and then I moved into a duplex and then like a three unit. Um, the four unit, we're actually filming in a four unit today okay. where I live. And then it just kind of stair stepped to like, I bought a 12 unit apartment building recently. 
Um, and, and now I'm looking at other things like this commercial, you know, commercial warehouse space, looking at some storage facilities. And then also another thing I don't talk a whole lot about is I'm in mobile home parks as well. Um, yep. you know, yep. it's not the most beautiful asset class, but it's, uh, you know, it's cash flow. I, yeah, it's good cash flow, and I really enjoy it if it's ran correctly. It really can be a good, good property. So, because you don't own the mobile homes, you just own the. Yeah, the, it, it depends. Typically, I prefer not own the actual yeah. mobile homes. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you want to get into this whole spiel on mobile homes, but I can. I don't know if you really sure. care. Sure. Oh, yeah. I mean, so I guess the way I look at parks are, I see them as more like a neighborhood. Okay, so if you have, and again, I'm not, I don't mean this to be demeaning at all, but typically in a mobile home park, you have a um, a clientele that usually is less affluent. Sure. Does that make sense? And again, I, I know people who live in parks and they're very, very well off, so I shouldn't say that, but um, typically over the broad, broad spectrum, you know, maybe they make a little bit less. And so if you equate a, a park to apartments, the same demog- same type of tenant over here in the apartments you're going to have um, people who are much more um, transient moving in and out mm, yeah. um, you know bounce around to different places they might lose their job they dip out of their apartment with parks if they own their own home it becomes much more of a neighborhood in my opinion if the park is ran correctly it's it's like the same subdivision i grew up in you know yeah. everyone people have been there for 25 years everyone knows each other it's a lot safer so it's um, more stable, essentially. Exactly. So a lot of times when you see the rundown parks, it's typically where the owner owns a lot of the homes and uses them as rentals. Ah, okay. And then they get beat up and the tenants yeah. don't care about them. So I'm much more like, hey, let's build a, a cleaner, safer, like long-term neighborhood. You own the home, have pride of ownership, yep. and I'll maintain the yard yep. and grass and all that. So that's the, that's the model that I prefer with parks. Yep. Now, when you go... Um, what do you use? I'll just be honest. My little experience in real estate, I, I've always just used bigger pockets and basically their way of breaking down, um, you know, the cash on cash, um, is a, is a big one. A lot of people look into cash flow or really just, you know, real estate is one of those things where money is easily made at the buy, mm-hmm. right? Because that's a price, if you plan on holding this thing forever, that once it's bought at that price, that that thing, that's eternal until you sell yep. it, right? So um, if you don't mind sharing a little bit, you know, I mean, you can get as personal as you want or if you want to, you know, because like some people will look on their cash on cash and say, that's that's important to me. How much cash am I putting in versus the bank? Um, some would say, no, I want to make sure and put, uh, you know, my own money in. Some others say, "Listen, if I can buy a house that's worth sixty, or if I buy a house for sixty and it's worth a hundred, you know, the bank looks at that and says, "Hey, you've got enough equity to where we'll just fork out the whole 60. Like, and I know there's a ton of different variables, but like, what are the few things that you're looking after when you're breaking down a property? Yeah, I get asked that a lot, and I don't have a good answer because yeah. every property is so different. So. I'm looking at every property through a different lens. Um, I might buy a property that I'm losing money on day one. However, if I know that I have a ton of upside after I remodel those five units, or if I add on, like let's say this commercial building, I extend the commercial building and add five more doors of storage, it makes sense. So it really it really makes a difference on the big picture. Um, 
you know, in the real estate space, everyone's talking about cap and a cap rate. You know, what cap right. rate is that property trading at? Right. Well, around here, let's say properties are trading for an eight cap, um, which means um, that's like the 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 value that properties are trading for in your area. Well, I might I might pay for a property that's way more expensive if I see that upside. So, uh, and then also just to get in a little bit more you know, how I analyze properties. Um, I just have spreadsheets that I use, yep. but that's something that I'll bring up is like, I'm not very analytical. Mm -hmm. I'm very like big picture. Let's, um, let's just take the thing down and figure it out. Right. You know, and that's something that I almost have a fault to is, is that I'm not very, um, analytical, you know, and, mm -hmm. and I'm just more like, Hey, does this make sense on a big picture? And, right. You know, it typically does. Right. Are you primarily using contractors for your construction right now, or are you doing any of that yourself? Yeah, um, primarily now, yeah, contractors. Uh, rarely am I actually ever doing anything anymore, just okay. uh, and not because um, I'm too important or anything like that. I actually enjoy you know being hands on to some extent. It's that you just can't, you just don't have time. Yeah, right. Um, yeah. My dad, going back to him and being hands on, like he's actually very involved. I should back up so. Dad, um, it, when I first bought those few houses, they were in my name, but I got to a point where I was like, I had no money. You know, I was in college. Right. right. Um, so dad bought into my business when I like make it, made it official. And so dad bought into a portion. So he owns 40% of my business. And so he is active in, um, not all my deals, but he's active in, you know, a good majority of the stuff that I'm doing. And he, he loves to be more hands-on. So I run more of the uh, the big picture, like hey, where are we headed thing, and also more of the detailed stuff like rent collections and notices and all that stuff. And Dad maybe does a lot more hands on just because he enjoys it. So interesting, yeah, yeah. We best of both worlds, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Partnership. We, we try to um, stay out of the. Well, I shouldn't say this, if, especially <laughs> if Dad's watching, but I tr I try to you know he, he can do his thing and i'll stay over here and yeah right we actually we really uh we've become we've started to work together a little bit more as he slows down a little bit in his business so we'll see where that goes it's cool though that you can have that dynamic together that's that's, that's awesome yeah but yeah going back to answer your question i guess so typically 95 percent of what we do now is outsourced to contractors so we just have guys to call yeah that's good before we, I got quite a few questions on management, um, but before we get into that, what, uh, I mean, like, how, how did it go through COVID? I mean, um, everything go okay through that? Yeah, um, I think everyone in real estate was sweating there for a while. Yep. I mean, I know I was, um, not knowing, you know, whether or not, was I going to have six months of just no rent coming in? Yep. Um, because, I mean, rent is what, drives the whole thing right so it went a hundred times better than i thought it would yeah. well, let's let's talk about that for a second why and, and this is this is me asking the question this is for the listeners why would you not have rent coming in just because these people can't work and so they're not paying what what's yeah what's the scenario there essentially i mean when covid started rolling around and people were losing their jobs so yeah. first it was like well are people even going to have jobs to yeah. be able to pay um, so that's a big problem. But then the government steps in and more or less says, hey, you don't have to pay your rent. Yeah. You know, so there was people saying that. And so um, that was just a big fear because there also wasn't a whole lot of relief for the, you know, for the owners of the property. So yeah. that was just a little scary. But I think going back to the way that I was set up back then was primarily in parks and everyone owns their own home. 
Um, I'm not charging outrageous rents like some people are, you know, and, and especially in larger markets. So it's very affordable for people. And I just had really good luck. You know, of course I had some that couldn't pay, but if you work with them, it's, it, it all works out. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, obviously 08 was prior to, uh, but I mean, you're, you're less than five years, well, six years, right? T- off of 08, your dad obviously, uh, went through it. Um, you know, how do you, and again, I'm sure this is a very common question in the real estate world, but, um, you know, if something, if the housing market was to get that unstable or just the economy in general, right? Like obviously right now, there's a lot of opinions based on the amount of money that was printed based on, you know, you know, where the stock market is and, and the economy, you know, again, I'm not saying I'm an expert on it, not even close, but eventually it, we will have a recession of a certain degree. And, um, what's your plan uh, for when those things start to happen? I mean, again, people will always need a place to live. Yep. Right. But when that's one of the things that I always find interesting in my own life you know the the debt versus the cash situation and how far are you willing to leverage yourself and and if things if the wheels were to fall off where would you know what would be the first bump yeah i'm sure you've thought about it a ton yeah i think about it kind of every day but right um i think so for people that don't know back in 08 and 09 when we had the recession it was mainly caused by um, I mean, just to dumb it down, it was more or less that people didn't have equity in their houses. So yeah. they way over leveraged. So I think that the banks have done a good job now of tightening down where people have equity in their homes. Um, I think that a lot of people have equity. And so I don't see there being a, a, a big recession in the housing market. I mean, I definitely agree that there's going to be a recession in the future. I mean, there, there has to be, right? Right. right. But I don't think it'll be caused by housing. Yep. However, even if things did crash um, and, and real estate values did fall, as long as the, the biggest fear is that the banks call your your debt due more right. or less. I mean, at that point, everyone's out of luck. Right. You know, there's really nothing you can do. But as long as when I'm analyzing a deal, as long as I am baking in enough like equity and also holding enough cash for those rainy times. Um, I'm gonna be I'm gonna be fine. Yeah. So I I use debt a lot in my business, um, mm-hmm. and that's getting into you know the Dave Ramsey versus Robert Kiyosaki thoughts. Um, you know, actually Dave Ramsey is who I first started reading when I was you know a teenager. Yeah. But debt is a tool, and if you know how to use it, it's very powerful. And so um, I'm very also very conscious about how much debt I have. So like I'm kind of always looking at okay, what's my loan to value? Right. Oh, in a global picture right. and what's your ratio yeah yep. and what is the bank um i try to have conversations with my bank like hey how how do i look you know look at my financial statement um this is something else this is overkill but i do a snapshot on the 15th of every single month i go and it's uh and do a, a financial statement snapshot yep. of my all my businesses you know all my different entities down to my personal so more or less my net worth yep. on the 15th of every month and that helps me get a big picture of like, okay, here's my debt. Here's how much cash I have. Here's how much equity I have. And then have those conversations with your financial advisors. Like, hey, how am I doing? You know, mm-hmm. um, if things did hit the fan, would we would we be okay? And yep. so that's something I try to think about a lot. Yeah. 
Because I, I have seen, I know stories of guys that have just, they were way over leveraged back in 08, 09 and lost everything. Yeah. So yeah, <clears throat> heard guys like that too. Yeah, definitely have to be careful. And so your, um, your ability to continue to buy real estate I mean, because that, that's one of the questions a lot of people ask, like, well, I mean, it does take cash or it takes equity, right? So, um, and again, like you mentioned earlier, it's just getting the snowball going. Yes. You started with a $5,000 house, right? Um, and, well, there's two ways I would go with this. Uh, the first one is like, well, if everyone got into real estate, it wouldn't work, uh, potentially. Obviously, there's that argument. And then the second one is, um, you know, when you are looking for these deals or properties, deals, properties, um, you're able to negotiate, you know, the pro- well, there's a lot of things that you can negotiate, like you just seen the, the future of this property, the big picture, right? Maybe that the homeowner or the apartment owner hasn't seen or just got comfortable and wasn't willing to push those bounds, right? But how are you, you work with a local bank, I'm assuming? Yep. Multiple, okay. yeah. Yeah, multiple local banks. And so they they have your, and it sounds like you have a great relationship with them if you're having these meetings, and that's huge to them as well. Um, but they're giving you, because of that trust and because of that really accountability that you're putting on them and they're also putting on you, they're also giving you a leeway. I think some people maybe don't realize that to a certain degree. If you can build that trust mm-hmm. and like, hey, I'm going to be here during the good times, and I'm going to be here when, when it goes bad. And so, listen, just be open. Talk to me. Tell me what you like. Tell me what you don't like about my, you know, debt to asset ratio. Tell me, you know, where you think I can improve. And I'm assuming you've seen and felt and had a ton of freedom in that now. Yeah. Right now. Is that correct? Yeah, definitely. I mean, okay. over time. Yeah. It gets better. But ha- yeah, having those relationships with the bank, I think a lot of people who maybe want to get into real estate and don't think they can, if they went and sat down with a bank and talked to them, went through their whole financial picture, they might be surprised. I think a lot of people just think, oh, it's so out of reach. Like even, I think a lot of the public doesn't even realize how easily you can buy a house. You know, you need, with an FHA loan, you can be into an a house, uh, into a house for three and a half percent down. Right. So if you buy a hundred thousand dollar house, that's thirty five hundred bucks. Of course, you're going to need more cash. On top of that, I advise having you know a safety cushion if your furnace goes out and things like that. But um, I think that a lot of people think real estate is a, some big scary thing. When in reality, once you do it, I mean a couple times and build that relationship with the bank, it's it's easy. Yeah. And as you alluded to earlier, it's a snowball. The, the bigger the snowball gets, the easier it becomes. You know, those first, the, the first, you know, few houses, um, even into to the last couple of years, it's tough. You know, you're, you barely have any money. Um, you're always like trying to figure out how can I increase the value of this property and, you know, squeeze everything out that you can to move on. And, and also, how can I speed this up? Because real estate's yeah. an animal. I mean, you can't just push it down the road in a week. Right. And that's what happens when people you know, go bankrupt is that they pushed it too hard. They, yep. So, uh, but yeah, my point is, it's just like, once you get that snowball moving, it becomes easier and easier to find good deals and build equity and properties quicker. And it just, it just gets easier. 
I did want to. Sorry, you? No, no. I was just going to ask on the loan side. Now, are these banks doing in-house loans, or are these loans that are bought out on the market? Yeah, I try always to work with small local banks that keep the the loans on their books. Okay. So, and and that's um, been huge for me. I mean, uh, you know, for example, so the uh, the twelve unit that I bought um, probably about a year and a half ago or so, I needed twenty percent down. On a commercial loan, typically you need twenty percent. Some banks are even twenty-five, uh, and my bank was, you know, adamant you need twenty percent down. However, I had built a relationship with another bank as well, and we got my the appraisal back, and the appraisal came back substantially more than what I was paying for the property. And so I went to this other bank. Oh, I went to both of them and was like, you know, can you can you help me out here? And the one bank said, sure, you only need ten percent down. Wow. So I mean that was that was you know a lot of money saved by having that relationship. Yeah. You know, and it was built on trust mainly. I mean they wouldn't yeah. do it to everyone. So how how um, I'll just be honest. Some of our local banks don't, as far as in house loans, they just don't get out there very far as far as years. I mean, so when you start from an in house loan, if you have to start cash flowing a property um, with. Uh, um, the chat brings up another question. How do you know when to flip versus keep? But, um, the, you know, 10 years, maybe 12 is what max is what I've seen on in-house loans. Hmm. I don't, and maybe you've experienced different. Yeah. Um, I've never had one shorter than 20. Well, I take that back. An in-house bank. Loan. Correct. Serious. Yep. These must be halfway decent sized banks. Then. Yeah. They're, they're decent okay. sized banks. Yeah. Um, but I, yeah, I actually, I have bought a property on a five year loan before um it was a package of 11 mobile homes okay and so it was a lot more risky and ended up putting like half down in cash so it was like 50 percent down and then they carried the other 50 percent for five years so that was a different story but yeah yep. typically i'm at a 20-year amortization okay and then mm-hmm. my interest rate like right now it's you know low fours maybe yep um and then it will the the rate usually adjusts after five years which is okay. s- a little bit scary right um, and so that's what you have to be careful about thinking, you know, five years from now, what's the economy going to be doing? So right. you want to be careful about that for sure. And that's what I, that's, you're talking fixed rate debt. Aren't right. You? Right. Okay. I'm talking, I'm talking fixed rate. Yeah. Here. I should have clar- clarified on that. Yeah. Fixed rate debt is, is wonderful. Um, in the world that I'm in, it's, it's hard to get unless yeah. you are buying property that qualifies for agency debt. So usually a million dollar loan value and up, and then yeah. you can lock it into like a, a 20, 30 year fixed rate. Yeah. Um, so typically, you know, typically when someone buys a house, they're going to be at a fixed rate. Yeah. When you're playing in the commercial wor- world, r- rental property, rarely are you going to see fixed rate loans. Okay. Interesting. And that's good to know. And, and that is also another part of negotiation that is a real estate in general is a beautiful thing. I mean, you can work out, you know, after that five year, you know, if your loan is amortized after five years, ours comes due in five years, there's different things that your banker probably will help set up. Like, Hey, we'll only allow this loan to go up two and a half percent. Yep. Right. Or something. Yeah. Um, like th- that is the beauty of it. Right. Yeah. Don't people don't get uh, confused by yeah, Like, you know, there's balloon loans as well. So like, right. you know, it might be amortized for 20 years. However, it's due in five. Um, that's, definitely scary yes, because right. at five years you've got to come forward with all that cash to pay the loan off or you refinance it with the bank or refinance it somewhere else yeah um, and then there's the adjustable rate which you know 
still amortized for 20 years or 30, whatever it is, but then at five years, your interest rate adjusts. So if interest rates have moved up, you know, three, 4%, you may very well get that, uh, that increase. So right. that's why when you run your numbers, you need to know, Hey, in five years, if my interest rate goes up three or 4%, can I still carry this yep. property property? So yep. be careful. So would do you split the average? Say you lock it in at four and you know, potentially, in five years, it could be eight. Do you split the average there and run run the on six, or do you say, "Hey, at the end of four years, I'm going to have, you know, a value of say one hundred eighty thousand dollars of of you know principal left to pay on this." What does one hundred eighty thousand look like at eighty percent, or excuse me, eight percent? Not to cop out, but it it just depends. Yeah, you're right. right. I mean, <laughs> it's every property is different. I look at everyone differently, so sometimes. And, and I most certainly am siding with you because I know how this goes. But like from the listener's standpoint, it's like, well, I I need some cut and dry answers, right? If I need a plan to go into this, and it's like, well, that's a lot of times why business owners are sitting on the edge of their seat because it's like there's so many variables that come into yep. these decisions, like. Oh, you look great one day or you look great one month because of a decision you had made. Well, guess what? The circumstance could have switched just a little bit and you look like an idiot. Yeah. And it had nothing to do with, oh, I'm business smart. It's like, yeah, that might have something to do with it, but there's a lot of variables that played into that. If you run, yeah, just run the worst case scenario. And if you can winter through that, then you can, you know, probably rest easy. Yeah. Yeah. That brings up kind of a good point as far as when we've kind of alluded to this a little bit earlier alluded to this but in your opinion Kyle why don't you think more people get into real estate and is it because of that factor of uncertainty um you know the you know most people want to get that 9 to 5 but um i think you know they think of job security when the reality is you could be fired at any time without notice so i think that's somewhat of an illusion but um, but again, we've we've alluded to several different factors that can maybe be why someone would not get into real estate. But just kind of based on the people that you've talked to, the things that you've experienced, why would maybe someone not get into real estate? Um, I used to tell everyone, I'm like, you should get into real estate. You should buy a rental property. I don't do that anymore. You know, I I tell most people it's it's only for a select few people. And also, uh, there's a lot of facets of real estate you can get into. I mean, are we talking like, you know, a realtor? Are we talking an investor? Are we talking a developer? So there's right. all these different ways you can get into real estate, which is what's fun about it. Um, why most people don't get into it, I think that it is that, that stability factor of you have, like if you're a realtor, you have no clue. You could go months without making anything. And then maybe you have a month where you have, you know, four or five houses that sell. So I think that... It's hard, especially if you don't set yourself up from a young age to be able to stomach that period of time where you might not make money. The wilderness. Yes. Yeah, that's a good word for it, the wilderness. It's hard to to get past that sometimes. Yeah. So it's, what I'm hearing is that's kind of just like the mindset of a of an entrepreneur. Just that, that risk being able to go through those dry periods because um, most people aren't prepared for that. They're not prepared for going weeks, potentially months without bringing in any cash, you know, without making a paycheck. Right. Right. So, so much of it, I think just comes down to your perspective and your mindset. And because 
you know, any kind of entrepreneur will run into that issue, not just in real estate. I mean, would you guys agree? Not yeah. just in real estate. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Or investing. Yeah. I mean, cause yeah. if you've got, if you've got a restaurant or a gym, you know, anything like that, you know, things happen. Yeah. It's a risk. Right. What can go wrong will go wrong. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Sure. Yeah. And we're going to hit the pause button right there on this conversation with Kyle. Next week, we'll pick up where the conversation shifts and we begin discussing the mindset of an entrepreneur. If you're not already, please give us a follow on Instagram at Inquire Inside. Thank you all for tuning in today, and we'll catch you next time.